You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? I want to put this thing down and switch to this. Can you hear me all right? All right. We are going to continue in our Seven Mountains series this week, but before we get to that, if you guys aren't familiar with me, my name's Chris, as Lenny was saying. I'm the worship pastor here, along with my beautiful wife, Harmony, who was leading the team this morning. And that's this Wednesday, if you guys want to come hang out at the farmer's market. That should be fun. So Thad is our campus pastor here. He's actually in Turkey right now on an expedition. Is he wearing like his little Indiana Jones hat or anything? Did, he, did you get him one of those, Lenny? Sweet. He's got one. So uh, we'll expect pictures of that when we get back, but... And uh, Aaron Couch is our senior pastor, and we have two campuses here. If you're first time here with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We have a campus here and then a campus over in Moscow, and Aaron Couch is our senior pastor. He's actually leading that expedition. So we're excited to see what all God teaches them and what they bring back and actually teach us. So we are going to dive in to the next part of our series. Oh, I did want to say also, is, is anyone familiar or knows somebody that's up at family camp this weekend? Sweet. Family camp is also going on right now up at Dorshack State Park, and be praying for them. They're actually having three baptisms today out in the park, which is awesome. Hallelujah for that. And uh, Harm and I were there the last couple nights hanging out and mingling. There's some, a bunch of our Poland people were there. Thank you guys for being here. It's been awesome to see a ton of faces and not have the mass exodus of summertime happen. <laughs> like, it's been so nice to still see the people that I love and call family. Like, here are we. Hasn't it been nice, Lanny? I'm used to there being like a big chunk right down the middle of the road that's just totally missing for a period of summer, but I don't like that, so I'm glad it's not that way. All right, so the Seven Mountains series, who has been here the last few weeks and has been able to participate in this? All right, if you guys uh, don't know me, I, I like to be energetic and, and passionate, and I like responses and actually have us all be involved and not like the crickets. Like, I said, yeah, there it is. There's the first one, thank you. Do I have another? No. Uh, I like everybody to be involved and not have, like, I'm going to stand here and talk to you for half an hour and, and just listen and be on good behavior, okay? So uh, what, are, what was the first mountain that we talked about, the very first mountain in the series? What was it? Yeah. Family. Good. What was the second one? Church. Church. All right. And then last week, Marty spoke on what? Education, all right? If you're unfamiliar with this concept of the seven mountains, these are seven key pieces, basically seven things, seven influencers, seven things that make up and shape culture. So again, we had family first, church, education, and then today we're gonna talk about government. (laughs) There's the laugh and the, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I've been praying about this one all week. What I want to do first is actually just stop and pray, honestly, that you guys are able to actually hear what God wants to speak today and that I'm not fumbling over words or, or making everybody mad and having people storm out of here halfway through, okay? So let's just bow our heads and pray again real quick. Dear God, we love you, Lord. We thank you that you're here with us, Lord. We thank you that you call us your people, God. As we unpack this topic today, Lord, I just pray that you would just give me your words to speak, God. It's one that definitely uh, just stirs up a lot of different emotions and a lot of which aren't always good, Lord. People have hurts and wounds and deep wounds sometimes in these areas and, and see the things that are happening in the country and, and in the world even, God. And, and um, we, we worry, God. We're, we're nervous, Lord. We're, we're subject to that, but we don't need to, God, because you are more powerful than whatever's going on around us on any given time, Lord, and you always have been. And we just thank you for what you're going to teach today, Lord, and we love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's dive in. 
So I kind of wanted to give you just a little background, and then we're going to spend some time talking about what, what actually is government and kind of some brass tacks and everything. And I, I am not like a WSU professor on government, okay? So, so don't expect that. And this is something I would ask, too, is in this time, I'd ask that we, again, be really thinking about God's perspective and what does God want to teach through his word and not, man, all right, by the end of today, like, I want to find out what political party this guy is all for and, and whether I agree with him or not. That, that's not the focus of this sermon, okay? So just put that on the side. But we are going to dig into to what God says about government and leadership and a lot of different things. So um, we were actually in California recently, my wife and I, in, in Monterey, and we were actually in Carmel, where Clint Eastwood was the mayor for a while, which is funny. Uh, but we were sitting in a, at a stoplight, and there was a, a left arrow and a right arrow, and there were X's through them. So, so we were at the stop signal, and we couldn't go left, and we couldn't go right. The only problem is... In front of us, uh, the sign was on a giant 20-foot concrete wall. So our only option was to go straight into a concrete wall. So somebody had mis-signed mis, like, th that, so obviously we didn't go that way. But man, when I think of government, I think of the very first time I voted. When I was 20 years old, it was Al Gore against George H.W. Bush. Anybody remember those days? Anybody remember? And I remember that very first time sitting there thinking, man, I, I, like, I studied them and found out kind of what they're all about and their history and their history in politics and, and what their political stances are and all these different things. And I wasn't honestly too excited about either one of those candidates. And that's how I felt with that sign. I'm like, there's no good option here. Has anyone ever felt that way too, sometimes voting for a, an official? Okay, and I, again, I'm not here to just start out on that road. I thought he wasn't going to bash it. Like, but we've all struggled with this in some capacity, right? The voting for the lesser of two evils. I, I felt that way before, definitely. So um, when I was thinking, uh, and again, like summertime, Lanny was talking about connection and everything. It's, it's so divisive. Like Jolene was talking about earlier in prayer. There's so much that people get so ramped up on and all you have to turn on the news and 10 minutes later, man, you, you're like ready to have a heart attack. Does anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't even turn on the news. I could take my word for it. Like, I know what's going on still, but the news, man, it's, it's hard. All you got to do is sit down at a party this time of year and say, hey, what do you think about Trump? And, and you're going to get into an interesting conversation and might blow up that party, right? And I'm not bashing on Trump. <laughs> like, you could throw any, any number of names or things in there. It's just, it's, man, it's something where people kind of get on the edge of their seat and they get all riled up. So we want to talk about what, what is government and how did God design it to function? What, is it, what does it look like? Can, can there be a, a coexistence between government and, and some of the things we see and the things happening or that we don't agree with and whatever and, and God and his kingdom and how do the two interrelate and intermesh and is that even possible? So I want to actually define government to start. Okay? So the Wikipedia definition of, de, of government is the system or group of people governing an organized community, often a state. A government is like a clan with the purpose to govern the whole family or whole nation with powers of financial, military, and civil, and civil laws. The main purpose of government is to seek the well-being of the civilians and to fulfill their need for the betterment of the nation. Did you hear that last line? The main purpose of government is to seek the well-being of the civilians and to fulfill their need for the better of the nation. I intentionally didn't throw out this question at the beginning, but I do want you to think about it for a second. This is part of the interactive part. So I want you to think when I say the word government, think of a few words. What are the first two or three words that enter your mind? Yeah, yeah I see some laughing now and some like some... 
Some people just went from this to this. Like, okay. What? We don't, you don't turn on the news. Yeah? There, there you go. Again, there's just this whole, that, that picture that we get there, even of the, the Wikipedia definition, is God's definition of government. The Wikipedia definition is something that doesn't necessarily line up to those words that you just thought in your head when I say government. The word in the Greek for government is kuberneo. And this is what it literally means, to steer with a rudder like a ship. So that's the intention. That, that's the, the, the definition and the intent of government is to actually steer. To steer like a rudder. They're supposed to guide and influence and, and dictate and, and help actually find the right path and, and help us walk it for the well-being of the civilians, like it says. And again, this is the first example I want to give you of, of where this idea, this principle, like where did they come up with the... That, that term, like why does, why does government mean that? What does that look like? It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul talks to the church in Corinth and he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he talks about the spiritual gift of leadership. And that word that he uses, the leadership, is actually kuberneses. It's from the same root. And it means the same thing. Kuberneses, to steer like a ship. So Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, like spiritual leadership means that you steer and guide and direct and, and help the people to walk the path. And then we have the Wikipedia definition. Isn't it amazing how much is stolen from the Bible and no one gives credit to it these days? Hey, where did you hear that? That's like a really good saying. It's out of the Psalms or it's out of Corinthians, right? I hear it all the time, but people don't recognize where, where it came from. It's a part of how God designed things to work too. Politics, the word politics in the Greek is politika, meaning the affairs of the cities. It's the process of making decisions that apply to members of a group, okay? So that's just bare bones, backbone, government, politics, okay? So what does that look like and how does that translate then? How does that go out? What different types of government do we have out there that exist? So I'd love to throw out the question, the five most common types of government in the world, what do you guys think they are? Give, give me one. Five most common types of government in the world. Dictatorship, Dictatorship that's one. What did you say? Communism is one. Monarchy is one. Democracy is one. What's the fifth? Federal Republic. Okay. Democracy and Federal Republic is where we definitely lie. Again, there's differences. People disagree on that one. And round and round we go around the Millberry Bush, right? Monarchy is fairly self-explanatory. Communism, dictatorship. Those are the five most common types of government. I think it's important for us to look outside even the lens of what we see all the time. And this is our government, and these are our leaders, and these are all the horrible things that are happening in our country, da, 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 and actually focus, again, not on the brokenness necessarily, but, man, all over the world, there's different types of government happening, and, and does it match up with this definition or what God thinks government should actually look like? So I thought this was really fascinating. In, in the communist state of, of Cuba, in Cuba, the internet completely is controlled by the government and only 5% of people have access to it. Some of you parents in here are probably like, oh man, I'm moving to Cuba. Huh? <laughs> There's a part of me that would really like to have the internet just go away so my kids weren't like, can I get it, can I come away? Yeah. But 5%, why, why is that? Why do you think that is? Somebody tell me. Control because they want to be able to filter and, and know what, what is going into their people's minds, okay? In the same place, in Cuba, the government actually approves what reading people can do. In China, and some of you might be more familiar with this one, until recently, it was illegal to have more than one child. Now it's actually two children. 
So they upped it to two children and population control and a lot of different things have influenced that and been the, you know, the backbone to it if you really research it. But that would be hard, man. If you want to have a big family and you live in China and you feel like that, so what do I do? The government is telling me how many kids I can or can't have. That's really hard. In North Korea, this one blew my mind. There's a thing called the three generations law. So if you're convicted of a serious crime, you can be imprisoned in, in a prison camp and it's not just you, your family can be sent with you and then for two generations of your family, so your kids, children, can be subject to being in prison camp for their entire lifetime as well. And man, I was blown away. That one hurt my heart. I'm like, why? That, again, their, their line of thinking, their logic is, is to, to make sure that there isn't a problem again. So if the kids and the, and the kids and the, keep them in prison and like, so I thought, well, like how serious of a crime are we talking? And in general, to wrap my brain around that is difficult. But some of the crimes that at different points have been subject to that prison camp confinement and the generation effect are failure to wipe dust off of portraits of Kim Il-sung and having contact with South Koreans. So for three generations, if you have contact with a South Korean, you could go to prison camp and live there your whole life and your kids' kids. So when we think of having it bad and it being so hard, I think we honestly make the mistake of sometimes of saying somebody else, somebody else has it harder, so everything is just great here. Like I, I need to, oh, they have it harder, so I'm fine. It doesn't necessarily mean everything's great here, but in general, government is struggling all over the world, right? You agree with that? Governments are struggling to actually live up to like taking care of their own people, and what does this mean? So I want to switch gears and dive into what does it look like and what's God's perspective? If you've been here for a while, we talk a lot about what, what is God's part in any subject, any topic, anything that we're thinking about with family, church, education, now government, what is God's part of those things? What's his responsibility? What's up to him to handle and to do? And then what is my part? What's our part together? What are we supposed to do and what's our responsibility? And then what is their part? So everyone else, like what, what are the, you know, whoever it may be, your neighbor or your spouse, like what's their part or role in it? So the first thing I want to dive into is God's part. And I want to put this on the screen because I really want this to be something that's key in what we're learning today. Hopefully this isn't learned like a brand new thing, but this is a key part of the struggle with everything we're talking about with government. Let me challenge you with a perspective that I was really resting on even saying or not. What you feel and think about the kingdom of God directly corresponds to how you see the kingdom of man and government and everything else. If you have submission and authority issues with God in any way, shape, or form, then you probably will have them when it comes to, to actually following leaders and everything else. And people are like, yeah, I agree with that. We're supposed to go God, you know? Like, I'm gonna so follow God, submit to God, and do my best to, to love people. What people don't wanna do is think of it the other way. However you view and, and, and actually submit to authorities around you, whether it's a teacher or a government official or the president or the people above you, that directly has an impact on how you view the kingdom of God and God as well. Does that make sense? We separate the two and we say, God does not have anything to do with politics. God's people are the leaders of politics. God will never be in a state where he is just on the side, just watching while his people, his people suffer in any way, shape, or form, in how they lead especially. Does anyone else in here think God really cares about leadership? 
I sure think so, man. I think this is a very high priority to God. God is and has always been in control. Say that with me. God is and has always been in control. That might be easy for you to say. It might not be easy for you to practice and live out. And I'm saying you, including me in that. I can say God's in control of my finances all day long. And then when something comes up and I don't know what to do, things change sometimes. And I'm forced to circle back around. Man, is God really in control? So we want to unpack some scriptures. We want to go back and look at times where God proves himself and shows that he's in control. Even over kings, kingdoms, everything else, God is in control. Proverbs 21.1 is the first one. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. King's heart, in the Lord of the, uh, in the hand, excuse me, in the Lord of the hand, the hand of the Lord. Who is in control? God. Is the king in control? God's in control. Ezra 6.22 talks about the same thing. For seven days they celebrated with joy the feast of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Who's in control? God is in control. You guys tracking where we're going with this? Does anyone struggle with this? Let me see hands, honestly. I won't ask for hands 50 times. Who struggles with fully believing that God is in control all the time? I do. And when it comes to government, I think it goes to a whole other level. Like, man, I might trust God with some things. Do I trust God with the people that are in the government over me? I don't know. Daniel 2.21 is another amazing example. 220 through 22, actually. Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I love the story of Daniel. If you haven't checked it out and studied it, study it. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king at the time and he's having these dreams and he doesn't know what they mean. And his people, his wise men, his sorcerers don't know what the heck they mean either. So they go out and they find Daniel and Daniel is able to interpret his dreams and tell him what they mean. And this right here, that response that you just read up there, that is what Daniel is saying a thank you, as a thank you. Daniel is saying, Lord, thank you that you know what these things mean, that your ways are higher than the king's ways. He's gonna go and tell the king his dreams, but he knows who is in control. And it's not the king, it's God. Amen? He knows that God is in control, even though he's having to answer to the king and go tell him what his dreams mean. Like, that's amazing to me that he gets it. I think we sometimes think that that God is only this much in control of a part of my life or the government or whatever. Like there's these little percentages we put on God. And I think they're directly from the pit of hell, honestly, from the enemy. They're not from God. God is 100% in control of what's going on. Do we really believe that? God's not 10% in control of the government and then the rest of the time he's just sitting back watching, like I don't even know what they're doing today. God is in control. This is the last thing I want to hit you with on, on God's part and what it looks like. When we focus on the size of our problems, we forget the size of our God. When we focus on the size of our problems, we forget the size of our God. So go ahead and put that last slide up because I want you to see it once more. God's got this. He is in control. Say it with me once more. God is in control. God's got this. Yeah. You were following along on the screen. Good job. 
So what is our part? So let's move on to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. And I'm going to start actually in verse 4. It says 1 through 7. Um, I believe in your notes. I don't know if that's in the notes, but, but here, this is where I want to start. Jeremiah is writing, and he's encouraging the people, that have been, the Israelites that have been exiled to Babylon, and talking to them about, so the elders, the, the people, like the whole nation, he's telling them basically as they've been exiled and, and they're captured basically and enslaved, this is how you should live. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's what he's telling you to do. And I'll go back one. That's what he's telling us to do. I love in, in the Greek, or again, uh, sorry, in the Hebrew. So peace, prosperity, prospers, prosper. All those instances, they mean the same word. What do you think that word is that Marty and Aaron are always talking about? What is it? Shalom. So in the middle of the worst circumstance you can think of, with the king and authority and government over you that you don't agree with, that you don't have anything in common with, that have enslaved you, what should I do, God? And it doesn't say, be angry, angry, angry. It doesn't say, pick it, pick it, pick it. It doesn't say, storm Washington. It doesn't say any of this stuff. It says, bring peace, peace, peace. Do we bring peace like Daniel did to our culture? That's what I wonder. Those, those couple words that you thought of when I asked earlier, did anyone think of peace as the first thing that they think of with the word government? Anybody? We had one lady in last service. I was like, praise God for you. That's... There's a book that I really want to recommend to you guys if, you, if you've never read it. It's called Thriving in Babylon. And, and it unpacks more of the story of Daniel. And these are a couple quotes from it. Fear and pessimism make no sense when victory is guaranteed. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, there's never a good reason to panic. It takes a mess to have a miracle. We need a miracle right now in our country, do we not? In many different ways. But we got a God that, that's all about miracles. It takes a mess to have a miracle. So this is the next part of what I want to challenge us with. And it'll be on the slide. So we are to conform. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to back that up. <laughs> Go back to the slide after the um, Isaiah passage, will you? Yeah. So we have a responsibility to represent God well in how we react to our governing authorities. Sorry about that. That's what I was wanting to, to touch on. We have a responsibility to represent God in every capacity we can. So one of the best ways that we can do this is one of the ways that I think that sometimes we struggle with the most. When I look at my prayer life, and if I were to give you a list of the top 10 things I pray for, the, the church body right here would be on that list for sure, the people in here. My family would be right at the top of that list. For God to help me to be more like him and to understand him would be number one on the list. There'd be a lot of other things on the list. I, I don't know if government's even on my top 20. Honestly, praying for my 
elected leaders and officials, if, if that's not you, praise God for you again. Because you're doing what we all need to be doing. And I don't even mean just on government. This is something that I talked with Josh Gray about and the, the Aaron and the different guys, uh, you know, our, our leaders are talking about and fleshing out now, is what does it look like to be, uh, for us as a community of believers here to be more and more about prayer? And I think in all of these mountains, the only way that, that we're gonna start taking back some of these mountains for God is to be right here. It's not gonna be like this and charging, charging the gates and doing the thing, Jesus came back, and how much time did he spend right here talking to his father? We need to be in prayer, and every one of these that we're talking about, family, how many of you have seen amazing things happen in your family because of prayer, because of getting on your knees and praying? I have. How many of you have seen amazing things happen in the church here from getting on your knees and praying? I have. I see it every week. The fact that we're sitting here means that people are praying, and God is doing amazing things. And in, in education, people, I pray for the people in the schools and pray for what's going on there. And I wish I could like go further down that side. Prayer is still legal in schools, y'all. It's just not legal for the, them to lead it out like over the whole loudspeaker. So if you're at WSU or if you're a student, talk to your parents about it. Don't just go in and stand on a chair and start yelling at people. Here's my prayer, Lord. Don't, don't do that. But don't we need to take prayer into everywhere we go and everything that we're doing? In government, more than anything, we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to pray for Donald Trump. And all I got to do is say Donald Trump, and some of y'all just want to bolt out the back door. He needs prayer desperately. So, the last part of what we want to talk about. So we've talked about God's part. We've talked about our part. And again, I, I can't overstate the, the importance of, of prayer, of spending time on our knees in prayer, praying for our, our, our affected, our officials, <laughs> our leaders. But the last part, so we have God's part, our part, and then we have their part. So again, some of us come here and are like, all right, like now we get through the tough stuff. So we talked about God's part. Yeah, God's in control, sweet. Uh, our part is to be responsible and to pray for people and get on our knees and sweet. But what about them? What about those people? They're the ones doing everything wrong. They're the ones messing up our country. They're the ones doing all this stuff. Again, to back up a little bit, I hope that we all recognize I love my country. No one loves my country more than me. I, I, I can tell that. There's a bunch of people that love it as much. I love my country. But I am a follower of Christ first and an American second and a dad in every other role in my life second. Follower of Christ first. So as a follower of Christ, when we look at all the they's and we're like bashing on, oh, gosh, I, I don't even like that person. I don't even want to look at them. I can't even believe they're in office. I can't believe they act that way. I can't believe they're just horrible and doing the things that they're doing. They, are, they might be someone sitting right next to you in this room. You might, yeah, Jerry's, Jerry's poking his wife. Oh, man, I hope it's not you. Yeah, she's poking her uh, what if they're the person next to you? What if you have no clue that you're a Republican and the person next to you is a Democrat and if you found that out, you would have a problem with them and you'd blow up the barbecue where you're talking. That's what I'm talking about. That's not God's heart for his people and the way that God wants us to reclaim this mountain and take it. It never has been. 
Turn back the clock and look at what we just looked at from history. Peace, peace, peace. That's God's heart for his people. I want to read you something real quick from my utmost for his highest. If, has anyone ever read this? this? This devotional will change your world. If you don't have one, come get this one from me afterward. I'd love to give this to somebody. Here. Check out this devotional. It's online to myutmost.org. This is the one that hits me every year on my birthday. I'm like, thank you for the birthday present, Lord, because it's, it's a hard one. Like, but it's, it's encouraging, and I need to hear it. If we are not heedful and pay no attention to the way the Spirit of God works in us, we will become spiritual hypocrites. We see where other people are failing, and then we take our discernment and turn it into comments of ridicule and criticism instead of turning it into intercession on their behalf. God reveals this truth about others to us, not through the sharpness of our minds, but through the direct penetration of his spirit. If we are not attentive, we will become completely unaware of the source of the discernment God has given us, becoming critical of others and forgetting what God says. He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. Be careful that you don't become a hypocrite by spending all your time trying to get others right with God before you worship him yourself. How good is that? That is a direct, like, like you could put that on a poster and define that, not as even just how a lot of Americans look at how we treat the government, but a lot of Christians too, and it breaks my heart. I want to give you an example of someone who did this really well, who understood the, the they's, like who are they? And, and I'm not going to be a direct opposition to them and hate them and, and go have marches and organize everything to make their life terrible. But I'm going to love on them and I'm going to show Christ to them. Better, better than almost anyone I know in our culture and our time was Billy Graham. You Billy Graham fans in here? Dude was amazing, man. He was 99 when he just passed away recently. And I want to break this down for you and tell you, this is, this is Billy Graham's life and his influence on our government and our culture and our, our country in a nutshell. Graham was a spiritual advisor to U.S. presidents and provided spiritual counsel for every president starting at the 33rd Harry S. Truman, then Dwight D. Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon B. Johnson, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and the 44th President Barack Obama. He was particularly close to Dwight D. Eisenhower, Lyndon B. Johnson, one of Graham's closest friends, and Richard Dixon. He insisted on racial integration for his revivals and crusades, starting in 1953, and invited Martin Luther King Jr. Man, I got choked over your last year. Like, whew, the guy's life, man. And invited Martin Luther King Jr. to preach jointly at a revival in New York City in 1957. Is that amazing or what? You guys have lived through a lot of those things. You look at the name, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Lyndon B. Johnson was right in the middle of Vietnam and everything. He was one of his best friends. Not because he agreed with everything that he said, because he loved him and wanted to represent Christ well to him in a time where our government, man, our government desperately needed it. So right there, you're looking at a guy who loves Jesus, 
who loves him with all his heart, who's saying, I'm gonna be friends to these guys whether I agree with everything they say or not, and the war and all this stuff, and they're there praying for them and loving on them. If he hadn't done that stuff, I don't, I don't even wanna know what our country might look like. Like Billy Graham made a huge impact and difference, not just on the Christian culture, but our entire culture as a nation because he stood toe to toe with these guys. And what I love, 90 something years old, and he was still a presidential advisor to Barack Obama. And I guarantee you they had some fun conversations because he did not agree with everything that he said. He didn't agree with anybody, everything anybody on the list said, but he stood in there in the gap for representing Jesus well in a place where we desperately need it. I hope and pray, man, I want someone in this room, if there's somebody in this room that's, that's called to like stor storm this mountain for God, by God's grace and in God's power and be a, a, an impact in the culture, I've really struggled with fully believing, man, can there ever really like be 100% a godly man that is president of the United States, of our country with how things are right now? And God is in control, so I do believe that. but it takes us and our part and praying and getting on our knees and actually choosing to do like Billy Graham do and stay in the, stand in the fire and say, man, this is, this is worth it. I'm gonna do this no matter how hard it is. I'm gonna represent you well, even on what seems like the, the darkest, tallest mountain that there is. For a lot of people, like preaching on this is hard. Like I was wrestling this week. I, I love to like have fun and be lighthearted preaching and I'm like, government, there you go. Have fun with that. So I want to end with this and I invite the guys to serve a community and everything to come down. We're going to pass the buckets in a minute and we're going to take communion together. If you're new with us, we'd ask you just to hold on to the elements. We're going to take it together here in a little bit. John 13, 34 through 35 is how I want to end. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, did Billy Graham do that? Well, what do you guys think? Did Billy Graham do that well to just the people that he liked and, are, and were Christ followers or to everybody that he came across? Like, I think it's the second. And he made a huge impact on our entire culture from choosing to believe that God can do what he says he does. If you're brand new with us for communion, we do this, it's celebrated as a remembrance. If you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're welcome to take it with us. And again, we'd love for you to hold it at the end and we'll take it all together. But again, when I think of even coming down to this time of communion, what it means, it means sacrifice. That's exactly what Billy Graham did. That's what we're called to do in a lot of ways when it comes to this. It might take a big sacrifice in our lives in some way, even to take sacrifice 20 minutes and get on our knees and pray sometimes for our officials because it's not easier. You got other things going on. It's going to take sacrifice, but we have the ultimate example of that right here. That's why we take it. That's why we remember so we can live out what he has for us. So we're gonna go through some implications here. These are nuggets. These are things that we want you to be thinking about and chewing on. And hopefully this becomes a part of your prayer life this week and you're talking with other people about it and we can live this out. The first one is, do you trust that God has his hand in your government? Do you? Do I? I'm having to ask myself the same question, okay? And this isn't something that's just like, yep, I do. And then a week from now, like, I'll probably be good. Like, every day you might have to remind yourself of that. Maybe five times a day sometimes. Next one. 
no matter what government is over us, we are still called to seek the well-being of our community. No matter what's happening here and how hard it is and everything else, we are never called to start seeing God's people in a light that was never what he had for us. So whether the government definition in Wikipedia is happening well or not, seeking the well-being of the community is something that we as Christians are supposed to be all about. Whether we're hitting the mark in, in government on all the different levels or not, I would pray that we would be hitting that mark. Go ahead to the next one. How are you praying for your governing authorities? Honestly, this is the part that I feel like God wanted me to stand the most firm on. God being in control and in praying, just in general. For our authorities, uh, with all of these mountains, prayer is just something like it's gonna be the only way that, that we reclaim a lot of this is through prayer and especially for our governing authorities. Because again, that challenge of how we see the kingdom and how we see the kingdoms of man, I think this is one area where if we're really honest, that it's more of a struggle to pray for the people that like we really wanna just kinda like, again, they're, they're the days. Like I'd rather just keep them at an arm's length because man, they're just a horrible person. We need to pray for them. The worship team can come up and we're gonna do our last implication here and we're gonna take communion together. JT, one of our crew was talking about this and, and we kind of chewed on it together. And I think this is really profound. Our own, our own political agenda is not more important than God's prized possession. Our own political agenda is not more important than God's prized possession. Follower of Christ, first. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, like whatever, all the other things are supposed to fall underneath that umbrella. Follower of Christ. God's prized possession is his people. So if you've seen someone in that light, man, I encourage you. Again, repentance does not mean feeling guilty and terrible and, and just you know, being full of shame for months at a time. It means walk the path again. If you've put someone in that light and you don't want to pray for a leader or you have a friend that's a mayor and you're always just like, like just kind of going toe to toe with him and going rounds with him, peace, peace, peace. Call him up and ask him how you can pray for him. If you don't think that's something different than what he hears week in and week out, day in and day out, I guarantee you it is. If all the Christians would just start with the politicians, like showing up and saying, how can we pray for you? Like, what can we do? The politicians might, might totally, like, everybody might do a total about face because they're like, wow, what the heck? People actually want to help? They don't hate me? That's amazing. Salt and light that we're called to be. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And again, we do this to remember him and his sacrifice, what he paid for us. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. In the same way he took the cup, he said, this is my body, my blood, sorry, my blood that was shed for you for the remission of sins, my new covenant with you. And often as you do this, do it to remember me. Let's take this together. God, we thank you. We love you. You are so good, Lord. Lord, my prayer this week is that we would be people all about prayer, God. That we would put down the sword, Lord, the wrong sword, and pick up the right sword. That we pick up the sword of the Spirit and lay down the daggers and all the garbage and the junk, Lord. Pick up your word and be changed by who you are, God.
You never called us, God, to take up a cause or a picket line or anything else in Storm Washington. You told us to pick up our cross and follow you. I pray that that would be our heart, Lord, that that would be what we care about. I pray, Lord, if the next Billy Graham is sitting in this room, man, that they would rise up and accept that challenge. But they're only going to do it by following you, God and being your true follower, your true disciple, Lord, your son or daughter. Lord, as we sing this song, we will not be shaken. I pray that it would be our cry to you, Lord, that no matter what happens and what we're seeing on TV or how hard things get or whatever it is, God, that we will not be shaken because we're standing firm on the rock, and that's you, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you are worthy of our praise in this moment, Lord, and always. We love you and we just pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.